So I'm Pastor Michael. It's a beautiful morning. I'm really glad that we can gather together and worship. Every Sunday that we gather is truly a miracle, a gift from God. We are doing a sermon series on the spiritual disciplines. And the major thesis of this series is that the spiritual disciplines are not simply a checklist of religious activities. They're not just a a set of duties required of Christians so that we can feel good about ourselves and we can feel like we're virtuous people. Because if that is your attitude, then very quickly the spiritual disciplines will become burdensome to you. They will become just another set of tasks that you have to add to your weekly to-do list. But the purpose of the spiritual disciplines, and hear me now, the purpose of the disciplines is to get God. It's to have fellowship with God so that it is through the spiritual disciplines that we experience a living relationship with God. And this is how I want you to understand, uh, especially the first two of the spiritual disciplines, so that when we are reading Scripture, and not just reading Scripture, but as we study Scripture and immerse ourselves in Scripture, that is how we hear the voice of God speaking to us. And then prayer is how we respond back to God so that it's a conversation. Do you understand? And conversation is the lifeblood of any relationship. Let me wait for the plane to pass by. My, um, my absolute favorite thing in this world is talking with Christina. I can talk with Christina for hours and hours on end. I, I love to just go on long walks and talk with her. And we talk every day and we talk about everything. And as the years have gone by and we've been married now for 17 years, I know her thoughts so well, and she knows my thoughts, and it's a delight. It is my greatest joy. It is the strength of my life, and our conversations is how we grow together in love, and it's how we experience oneness in marriage. I want you to know, so it is with all healthy relationships. There has to be a constant flow of words and communication. There has to be a back and forth exchange in order for the relationship to flourish. And I want you to know that when you do this for a sustained period of time, do you know what happens? You begin to change. You begin to merge one into the other. And that is how life transformation happens. Life transformation happens through relationships. And when you understand the spiritual disciplines like that, they will become life-giving to you. They will become a wellspring of joy. And from them, you will be able to go out into the world in strength. And so today we're looking at 
the second of the spiritual disciplines, which is prayer. And we're going to look at Luke chapter 11, verses 1 through 4. This is Luke's version of the Lord's Prayer. It's a slightly abbreviated version. But what I love about this is that it's, it's part of a story. And so in your bulletins, or, and you can follow along on your computer screens, let me read to you Luke uh, 11, verses 1 through 4. Now Jesus was praying in a certain place. And when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray. As John, this is John the Baptist, taught his disciples. And Jesus said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread and forgive us our sins as we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us. And lead us not into temptation. So what happens is that in the passage, Jesus goes off to pray. And when you read through the Gospels, you see this all the time. The fact that Jesus is praying is mentioned constantly. Uh, One count I looked at, it's mentioned 25 different times throughout the Gospels so that it was woven into every aspect of his life and and his ministry. And and so because Jesus was constantly making time to pray, he would stay up late at night to pray. He would wake up early in the morning to pray. He would go to solitary places like mountains or he would go into the wilderness to pray. And of course, the disciples, they cannot help but to notice the intensity, the centrality of prayer in Jesus' life And so they ask him, Lord, teach us to pray. Teach us to pray like that. They they realize this is the source of his strength. How do we pray like that, Lord? And so Jesus gives his disciples what we call what we now call the Lord's Prayer. It's a masterful prayer. We could spend a lifetime unpacking it, meditating on it. And the key is to realize that the prayer is not a formula, it's not a specific set of words that we have to say but it's a framework, it's a structure and guide to our prayers. And so we can look at the prayer and we can divide it into two basic parts. The first part is about God and the second part is about our needs. And so this is my outline, two points. Um, Prayer is communing, number one, communing with God. And then number two, prayer is making petitions to God. And so let's begin, let's look at the first part. I want you to notice first, the orientation of prayer. Jesus says, Father, hallowed be your name. Now, hallowed is uh, not a word that we modern people use anymore. It basically means, uh, Father, may your name be treated as holy. May your name be revered and honored. And so this, this first line here is a meditation on the glory of God, on his greatness and his majesty. And I want you to notice, therefore, that the beginning of the prayer is all about God. It's all about God. What does this tell us? It tells us that we must not let our own needs and issues dominate the prayer, but pride of place belongs to to, uh, praising and adoring God. And so that's the first thing that Jesus teaches us. It's the God-centeredness of prayer. But here's my question. How can we praise and adore a God 
we do not know. Listen to me. I know that, you know, for many of us, we find our prayers are dry and they're tedious. Could it be that the reason is we're just going through our prayers like like a laundry list, listing out our prayer requests. So that it becomes this sort of mechanical process where we are listing our needs and listing our requests, but there's no relationship. We're not actually talking to someone because how can you talk to someone if you don't know who they are? You're just then talking to to a wall. You're, You're talking into empty space. And therefore, and therefore, the key to prayer is that it begins with God. We have to first listen to his voice speaking to us in scripture and then we can respond to him in prayer. This is why prayer and reading the Bible have to go together because if your knowledge of God is thin, then your prayers, of course, are going to be superficial. Then your prayers are naturally going to be self-directed and then ultimately self-absorbed. So let me here give you some practical advice to enrich your prayer life. Let your Bible reading direct and guide your prayers. And let it be a dialogue so that as you are reading the Bible, you reflect and you process what you are reading through prayer. And then over the years, as you practice this, and it's going to take practice. You know, one of the things we've been saying through this sermon series is that anytime you begin a new habit, and this applies not just to spiritual habits, but all of life habits, you're going to be bad at it at first. You're not going to be very good, and, and therefore it's going to take, you know, slow, incremental improvements over a long period of time before you can begin to reap the fruits and, and enjoy the benefits of this habit. This is what James Clear calls the valley of disappointment. You have to persevere through that time. And so as you practice this, you will find your prayers deepening, becoming more joyful and giving you strength for life. So that's the first thing. Our prayers are directed to God. It's a conversation with God. The other thing is I want you to notice the intimacy of prayer. And this is very important. Jesus instructs us to address God as Father. He could have instructed us to address God as King, as Judge, as as Creator, and that's all true, but God is first and foremost our Father. Do you know what that means? You see, there's a way that a child speaks to his father that he isn't comfortable doing in any other context. Every parent knows exactly what I'm talking about, right? Children act completely differently when they're at home than when they're out in the world. Because when they are out in the world, children are well-behaved, they're restrained, they're rather shy, right? But when they're at home, they could be their true self. They could let out their true emotions. Do you know why? Because they're safe in your love. Because of the intimacy of relationship. So often when we pray, we don't really believe that God is our Father. There's no intimacy there. 
And so when we talk with him, we feel like we have to clean up our emotions. We have to present the best version of ourselves. And we can't be honest about how we feel. And so we're trying to make our prayers sound pious. But when you read the Psalms, and the book of Psalms is really a book of prayer. They're the prayers of God's people. When you read the Psalms, what do you see? You observe this wide variety of prayers and you observe this enormous emotional range so that you see both the very heights of exuberant praise and adoration of God and you see the very depths of despair and rage. You see the full spectrum of human emotions. But what you never see You never see perfunctory prayers. You never see, you know, plodding, ritualistic, emotionally vacant prayers. You never see that. So, for example, consider the prayers of lament. These are the Psalms that so often began, How long, O Lord? So, for example, Psalm 13, listen to this. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? Now, to our modern ears, that sounds impious. It sounds like the the, the psalmist is complaining. He's, you know, almost like an accusation. And truth be told, if we heard someone praying like that, if we overheard them praying, it would make us uncomfortable. It would make us feel awkward. And maybe we would even rebuke them. You shouldn't pray like that. And yet you see these prayers all throughout the Psalms. This is the inspired word of God. What does that mean? It must mean that not only is God not offended by such prayer, not only does he, dis- does he not disapprove, but in fact he welcomes such prayers. He listens attentively to such prayers because, you see, he loves us. Psalm 56 verse 8 You have kept count of my tossings. You have put my tears in a bottle. Are they not in your book? I have made my boys memorize that verse. I love this verse because what it tells us is that God cares about our tears. God pays attention to our anger. Our our darkest emotions are important to Him. Or look at the prayers of Job. In Job 16, I'm going to read you a a portion of it. I want you to listen to the intensity of his emotions. God has torn me in his wrath and hated me. He has gnashed his teeth at me. I was at ease and he broke me apart. He seized me by the neck and dashed me to pieces. My face is red with weeping and on my eyelids is deep darkness. Listen to the raw intensity and the emotional honesty of Job's prayers. It's almost shocking to modern ears, but they were written down as a guide for believers today. And what that must mean is that God welcomes our messy emotions because God wants a real relationship with us. He's not shocked by how we feel. He already knows everything about us. But as a father listens to his son, he eagerly wants to hear our innermost thoughts. 
May I propose, may I propose that the reason why so many of us, our prayers are hollow and, and tedious is because we don't know God as our Father. We don't know that He loves us. And that's the most important thing. We need to know that He loves us. You see this especially in Paul's prayers in Ephesians. You know, the letter to the Ephesians, there's a series of prayers that Paul just sort of bursts into. And let me just read to you Ephesians 3.17. Listen to this. I pray that Christ may dwell in your hearts so that you may have power to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is His love. To grasp is not just to intellectually understand with your mind, but it means for your heart to take hold, for your heart to be captured by the beauty of God's love, to be filled with wonder and delight in the love of God. Here's my question. Do you really grasp? Do you really grasp the love of God in Christ? For many Christians, they're just living at the surface. The gospel is just an abstract intellectual truth, but it's not a reality in their life. They haven't experienced the power of it because the penny hasn't dropped. Do you know that expression? There's this wonderful uh, illustration that Tim Keller gives. He says, um, think about a soda machine. And you go to a soda machine and you put in your quarters, but nothing comes out because the quarters are stuck. The quarters haven't gone in. They haven't gone down. And so what do you do in that situation? You bang on the machine, <laughs> right? You bang and bang until... The quarter goes down until it goes in. And that's what you're doing in prayer. You are banging on your heart. You are pressing the truths of Scripture into your heart until the penny drops, until the truth goes in, until your heart grasps the beauty of God's love, until it becomes a controlling power in your life. And so because of the intimacy of prayer, This is why your prayer life is really a window into your soul. There's an integrity to your prayers. Because in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus talks about the importance of what he calls secret prayer. Secret prayer, these are private prayers that nobody else can see, nobody else observes. And because at the heart of prayer is fellowship with God, right? Prayer is just being with God. And so the reward of prayer is you get more of God. And if that isn't something that you treasure, if that isn't the delight of your life, then of course prayer is going to be drudgery. It's going to be guilt-driven. It's going to be infrequent. And it's going to be brief. And therefore, an excellent barometer of your spirituality is your prayer life. Is there a vibrancy there? Is prayer, is there a joy, and is, there, is it the strength of your life? That leads me to my second point, making petitions. So in verse 3, Jesus says, Give us each day our daily bread. This is an important part of prayer, is asking God 
for our needs, is making petitions. But there's a mistaken notion, and, and I want to address this. There's a, there's a mistaken notion that prayer doesn't really change things. That God has already determined all things, and therefore, the only thing that prayer really changes is you. Have you heard this before? And I want to say that that is true in one sense, in a profound sense. Remember Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane as he was facing the cross, he prayed, not my will, but, but thy will be done. So prayer is not the imposition of our will against God's will. This is why we should be praying for God's kingdom, not ours. But at the same time, I want you to know, listen to me, the Bible makes extravagant promises about the power of prayer. So listen, for example, to Matthew chapter 7. Jesus says, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. And the one who seeks, finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. Or consider James chapter 5, verse 16. The prayer of a righteous person has great power in its working. Do you understand the power of prayer? Because God is powerful, prayer is powerful. Because God delights to give good things to His children through prayer. And therefore, prayer changes the course of history. I believe that with all of my might. Prayer bends reality to its will. There's a, a, a wonderful story, an apocryphal, apocryphal story of King Ethelfrith of uh, Northumbria. King Ethelfrith was a pagan Anglo-Saxon king in England around the early 600s. So this is the uh, early medieval period. And he was waging war against the Welsh who had recently converted to Christianity. And as he was preparing for battle, he was surveying the, the battlefield and he noticed standing with the Welsh army was this strange group of unarmed men. And he asked his advisors, who are those men? And his advisors told him they are Christian monks praying for the success of their army. To which King Ethelfrith replied, attack them first. I love that. Even a pagan king understood something of the power of prayer. He understood that monks at prayer are more dangerous than soldiers with weapons. Do you share that same attitude? Do you understand the awesome power of prayer? And therefore, let us be bold in our requests. James chapter 4 verse 2 says, You do not have because you do not ask. How exciting is this? What incredible motivation to ask God for the things that we need because God gives us good things through prayer if only we would ask. You know, sometimes we, we want to protect God. We don't want to ask Him too much. We don't want to ask what we think might be impossible for Him because we want to we, wanna, um, we don't want to make God look bad. 
But if you look at the examples of prayer in the Bible, what do you see? What strikes you is the boldness and the shamelessness of prayer. Consider, for example, the parable of the persistent widow in Luke 18. There Jesus tells a story of a woman who asks again and again, and she won't take no for an answer. She is pounding on the door with her requests. And then Jesus says, pray like that. Pray with that kind of impertinence and relentlessness. Or consider the prayers of Moses. In Exodus chapter 32, this is right after the, um, the golden calf, after uh, Israel is worshiping the golden calf. God says, I've had it. I am going to destroy this stiff-necked people, he tells Moses. And what does Moses reply? Does it say, thy will be done? No. He says, no, Lord. May it not be. And then he reminds God of his promises. He says, remember your covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He's arguing with God. He's reminding God of his promise-keeping, never-changing character. It's breathtaking. And then in verse 14, the text says, the Lord relented from the disaster that he threatened on his people. God relented. And you know, the colloquial word for that is God changed his mind. God relented because of Moses' prayer. You know, and immediately we think of these theological questions. Well, what about the immutability of God? You know, what about God's unchanging nature? And listen to me. I am a dyed-in-the-wool Calvinist. But you have to understand this line in the context of prayer. This is what Moses calls conquering prayer. This is a prayer that contends with God, that argues with God. And, you know, it doesn't seem pious, but it is pious. What is impious is the absence of prayer. It's neglecting to pray. And so we have this paradox so that on the one hand, prayer absolutely changes things. We could even say prayer changes the mind of God. And therefore, let us be specific. Let us be bold in our requests. But on the other hand, at the same time, God is absolutely sovereign over our prayers. And He will never give us anything that, har- that will harm us. Listen to Matthew chapter 7, verses 9 through 11. Jesus is talking about prayer. Listen to this. Or which one of you, if his son asks, for, asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father, who is in heaven, give good things to those who ask Him? This is a wonderful safeguard to our prayers. Because sometimes, instead of asking for bread, we ask for a stone. Sometimes, instead of asking for fish, we ask for a snake. But we can rest assured that God will never give us an evil thing. God will always give us the good and necessary things if only we knew everything that he knew, if only we had his wisdom, if we had his goodness. And therefore, prayer is not just getting what we want. Prayer is wanting the right things. And this is where, this is where prayer is not, doesn't just change your circumstances, and it does. But perhaps its ultimate work 
is that prayer changes you. This is why Jesus instructs us, thy kingdom come. This is asking for the things of God. This is why Jesus says, forgive us our sins as we forgive others. It's asking God for a gospel transformed heart so that we can we can be like our Father. We can show compassion and mercy even to our enemies. Because prayer brings us into the presence of God, we will be transformed. We will change and become like Him. Before we end, let me close with a final thought. I want you to know that there is a prayer behind your prayers. There's a prayer behind your prayers in Hebrews chapter 7, verses 24 to 25. Listen to this. Because Jesus lives forever, he has a permanent priesthood. Therefore, he is able to save completely those who come to God through him because he always lives to intercede for them. I want you to know that behind our prayers... Jesus is praying for us. He is interceding for us before the Father. To intercede means to ask, to plead on behalf of someone else. Jesus is interceding for us even now in heaven. And this continues his mediatory work that he began on the cross. And so this is the gospel. The gospel is that Christ through his sacrificial death, brings us into the presence of God. He gives us access to God, Ephesians 2.13, and therefore our prayers are effective, not because of any merit in ourselves, not because our prayers are eloquent or because they are passionate, but only because of the merit of Jesus Christ, his blood pleading for us, interceding for us. I think this gives us great comfort and confidence. You know, so often our prayers are weak. We fumble with our words. We don't know what to say. It feels like God is a thousand miles away. But the Spirit, Romans 8.26 tells us, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. I love that. The Spirit helps us in our weakness. Do you know what that means? It means that prayer is never a solitary thing. But the triune God is with us and he helps us when we pray. Please join me in prayer. Heavenly Father, what a a great and almost unbearable privilege it is to pray that you would hear our words crying out to you. But we confess that we so often neglect this precious gift. So often, the busyness of the world occupies our attention and time, and we go on with prayerless lives depending on our own strength. How foolish we are. O Lord, rescue us from our blindness. Give us stout hearts that love you, that eagerly seeks you in prayer. And give us a deep experience of your love so that through prayer, the penny of the gospel drops. Make us a people of prayer 
With man, this is impossible, but with you, all things are possible. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.